<laughs> so some of you are laughing because you're saying, boy, I don't think you've ever worn anything like that in your life before. But I want to ask you a question as we get started this weekend. What was the best job you've ever had? And of course, you know I'm going to ask you the next one, right? What's the worst job you ever had in your life? So let me tell you a couple of mine. Carol reminded me of one that I had that I forgot about. Um, so I remember one summer between semesters, I was really desperate to get a job and make some money for the following fall semester. And I got a job working with a plumber who happened to be deaf. And basically, I was his right-hand man to do all his dirty work. And one of the jobs that I got was we were had a job down at a, a Kmart, and the toilets were plugged. And so I was the guy that ran the snake down the toilets for about 30 or 40 minutes. And if you know what I'm talking about, it's not, and there was about that much water all over the floor. And finally he came in after about half an hour, 40 minutes, and he said, well, the septic tank is full. Which meant that everything that I was doing was a waste of time. And I had to go home and take a shower and a bath and a shower and a bath. <laughs> that was one of the jobs I had. Then one time, I went into work, and he actually owned some properties. And he uh, basically said, let's go for a ride. And so we got into his truck, went for a ride, went to a multi-tenant uh, house and that he had just purchased. We walked around it, went up into the attic, and there was dead pigeon carcasses all over some of the window frames were filled with uh, just dung, and he took a stick one and dug out the dung, and two or three car carcasses fell on the ground. And he walked around the whole thing, and he said, clean it up. And he left. <laughs> that was my summer. The one that Carol reminded me was another college job that I had when I was in Chicago, and I uh, was, it was about this time of year, and it was one of the coldest years that we've ever had. It was like 20 to below, 32 below, and I was sitting in a little shack on Rush Street parking cars for people who were going out to restaurants, and I was literally had my hands on one of those electric heaters trying to stay warm, and I remember sitting in that shack trying to stay warm. That was my job one summer. But we've all had jobs, haven't we? We've all had those, those jobs that you go, yeah, this is kind of something I have to do. It's not something that really energizes me or encourages me, but I need to work, right? So we've been in the book of Ephesians, and we've been talking about, actually, we, when we got to chapter 4, essentially, basically, Paul is saying this. He's saying, put off the old man, put on the new man, and renew your mind. Change the way you think. And he says, you and that affects whether you tell the truth or not. It affects whether you, how you control your anger or not. It affects, as we're going to look today, on whether you steal, whether you're honest. And he says, and, and that's the passage we're going to look at, was Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. And what we're going to do this weekend is we're going to talk about how our work matters to God. And this passage really lays kind of a principle that we, we want to dig, dig into a little bit. Because sometimes you work at a job and you go, yeah, I can't 
foresee any redeeming quality other than I'm getting paid for this job. Other than that, I can't really see anything good on it. And I'm going to propose to you that when you have just a horizontal view of your work, you know, some jobs, oftentimes many jobs can really be very, very draining and not what they were designed to be. So uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, let me read the passage to you. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. And I talked about this first just briefly a couple of weeks ago. And essentially what I said was the cure for uh, you being a thief or you being uh, kind of greedy is to become generous. But that only happens when you put off the old man and you put on the new man and you change your mind. And so this is a process that we all have to get involved in. This takes time. And basically what we're going to see is Paul says, this is who you used to be, but this is who you are now. And who you are now should dictate a lot of areas of your life. And the one we want to look at this weekend is our work, our work. So I want to give you three principles of what the scripture says about our work, because we often don't get this. The first one is this. We need to let our Sunday direct our Monday. We need to let our, uh, allow our Sunday to direct our Mondays. Oftentimes, we are, we are, what we do is we compartmentalize our life. We have our worship life, which we're doing now, whether you're here or online. You're worshiping. You're acknowledging God. You're, you're stopping. You're saying, God, you are there and I'm here and we have this relationship and I want to reaffirm it or strengthen it. Or I want to know that we have this going on. Um, and that's important. But what we tend to do is we adapt to our environment. We're in our family environment now. We're in our work environment now. We're in our leisure environment now. And I want to suggest that possibly many of us act very different in those different environments. It's possible that you act different here right now than you do when you're home with your family or at work or at leisure. Uh, When you're out on the golf course. Uh, You know, Americans, we're experts at creating division between the sacred and the secular. We say, well, that's secular. This is sacred. And we we, we use a different vocabulary. We, We treat people differently depending on the environment that we're in. Let me ask you a question. In this past week, did you see your work as something that is sacred? I didn't ask you whether you liked your job. I didn't ask you whether your job is sacred. I asked you whether you saw your work as sacred. Did you think about it? Did you think about God being involved in your work? And that's what we want to talk about. Here's the truth, and this is what I want you to hear. Everything in your life, everything you do and everywhere you go is sacred. This is not a sacred space in this room. Many are here worshiping in this space, and you're worshiping at home. Many of you are worshiping online. Maybe right now, uh, as we are, or maybe later on, and you're, you're listening, you're watching. But everything you do and everywhere you are is a sacred space. What makes this church building sacred is that we have God's people here in this space making it sacred. And God's presence is here with us. Making it, making it sacred. Eric Liddell, you probably have heard of him. He was the runner. His father once said, um, and it's the book Chariots of Fire or the movie, if you've seen the movie. He wrote this, you can praise the Lord by peeling a spud if you peel it to perfection. 
<laughs> How many of you thought of peeling a potato to the perfection of God, right? Well, what do we know about Eric Liddell? 1924, he ran the 400-meter uh, race and won the Olympic gold medal. Uh, he was supposed to run the 100, but ultimately that was on a Sunday, and he would not run on Sunday, so he chose to run a different race. He won that, got the gold medal, became a missionary in China, and served as a missionary in China for the rest of his life. He died in a Japanese civilian internment camp in 1945. But the quote that you've maybe heard about from Eric Liddell is this, God made me fast, and when I run... I feel his pleasure. <laughs> what he was saying was, a lot of people think sports is a secular activity, running. So he's saying peeling potatoes, running the 400, changing a dirty diaper, scrubbing a floor, repairing a car, running a snake at Kmart, parking cars on Rush Street, studying for a test pulling wisdom teeth, stitching up a wound, giving a vaccine shot. They're all sacred. They're all sacred. There is no secular and sacred. Not, not for the believer. I know for, for a lot of the world that's true, but not for a follower of Jesus Christ. William Deal, who was a Lutheran pastor, wrote this. He said, if lay people cannot find any spiritual meaning in their work, they are condemned to living a certain dual life. That's the sacred and secular. Not connecting what they do on Sunday morning with what they do the rest of the week. They need to discover that the very actions of daily life are spiritual. The, let me read that one more time. The very actions of daily life are spiritual. Such a spirituality will say, your work is your prayer. Have you thought about that? Have you thought of your work as being your prayer? A sacred duty to God? A way to worship Him? We talk about worship. We're in a worship service right now. Have you thought of Monday morning as you go into work, as you walk into the building, as you sit at your desk, as you do your job as an act of worship to God? Question. How is your Sunday affecting your Monday? How is your Sunday affecting your Monday? That's the first one. Secondly, we need to see the past. We need to see, need to see past the curse to the blessing. The first words of the Bible in the beginning, God what? Created. What's creating? A work. God worked. In the beginning, God worked, right? And, and God places man in a garden for what? For work. In fact, Genesis 2.15 says the Lord took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Man was not to exploit it. He wasn't to abuse it. He was to bring creative order out of disorder. Isn't that what God did? It says the earth was formless and void. What did God do? God took what was, earth, what was formless and void and brought creative order and beauty to it. And God calls us to do the same. He's called us to be part of this creation, but also to tend to it, to caretake it, to, to uh, help it. Man was ne neither to exploit it or to abuse it. God took what was formless and void and brought order and creative beauty. And we're given the gift by our creator to do the same. 
But here's what we've done with our work. This is where we're at today. We've allowed work to do, there's two extremes that we go to with our work. The first one is this. We treat our work as the curse of life, a necessary evil. We use the acrostic TGIF, thank God it's Friday, meaning I don't have to go to work for two more days. I have two days off. We dream of vacation. And too many of us view work as a necessary evil, a curse, something to be endured or avoided, not something that we, we see as a, a sacred duty. Genesis 3, God said that a curse is attached to all work, but he didn't curse work. In other words, the interesting thing about Genesis 3 and the rest of the Scripture, what they bear out is that work will be a blessing. It will be fulfilling. It will be affirming. It will be, it will be able to provide for you, but it will also carry a burden and a baggage and a curse to it. For instance... Have you experienced that? Have you experienced that dualism of work, that work is so fulfilling and so enriching and so encouraging and it provides for you, but yet it's so frustrating and discouraging and disappointing? Have you, have you experienced that? Let me give you a few examples. You work with imperfect people who make your job more challenging. You work with a boss who doesn't know what he's doing. You work with coworkers that are just not very with it. And they make your life more difficult. They give you tests that are, in, that are ridiculous. And, and you go, Ugh. it's frustrating. You find your garden is filled with tomatoes and onions and beautiful things in the summer. And yet there's those weeds, and they never give up. They never take a vacation. They're always there. There's always more to pull. You don't have to, they don't, you don't have to plant them. They just show up. It's a party in your garden. You experience pain, frustration, conflict, envy. Your goals will never be met this side of heaven. And that's the problem. We have all of this going on. This dualism of work that it's blessing and it's encouraging, it's affirming. But it's draining and it's discouraging. Your work will be both rewarding and frustrating. So that's the first one. We see work and many people in the world see work as a curse. A necessary evil, something to be avoided, something to get out of. The opposite is true, though, too. Many people allow work to become the point of their life, the defining moment of their life, the, who they are. Men are notorious for this. We can be notorious for this. We can allow work to define us. The scripture teach that you, will, you, you won't have a meaningful life without meaningful work, but, but you can't make work the sole purpose or meaning of your life. You can't do that. So we have playoff football. Just want to mention the Buffalo Bills won. <laughs> it's been waiting for 20 years to say that. But think about a professional athlete. They train all through since they were a little kid, through junior high, through high school, through college, 
and into profession. And they, that's all they've done. They've got up, they've worked out, they've trained, they've practiced. They've, and then all of a sudden, they take a hit. Somebody rolls on their leg. And they go in on Monday and the doctor says, yeah, we can't fix this, you're done. And they say, wait a minute, wait a minute. For the last 15 to 20 years, this is who I've been. This is who I am. This is my identity. What are you talking about? Who am I? This is where we've taken work and we've made it the end. Our identity. And when we lose our identity, we say, well, who am I? We've allowed a good thing to become a God thing. And, and some have gone to that extreme. They've allowed the lure of financial gain, popularity, prestige... And they made work an end. And like any idol, it will let you down. It will crush you. When it begins to crumble, your life will crumble. You could do that with a lot of things. Do you know somebody who's defined by, and they're driven by their work? Maybe it's you. Here's the point. Work should, should play a proper role in your life. But it must always be subservient to God. Always. If you allow work to be your God, if you allow... Because what, what does work do? Work does a lot of important things. It can provide security for you. It can provide significance for you. And it can provide satisfaction for you. The same thing that God says, I will give you. But if we just say work is going to be that and we don't allow God to be that ultimate thing and we make work that when we get, have trouble with our work, when we have trouble with our career with our, and we lose our identity, we lose our significance, we, we lose all of that in just a moment. And that's why I think, and this is a whole other sermon, we need to really rethink retirement. We really need to rethink retirement. Because that's another thing that we picked up in our American culture, that once we get to a certain age, we stop doing anything. It got quiet in here all of a sudden. People are going, yeah, I was just going to work on that. <laughs> Here's the third point. Change your boss, change your title, change your assignment. Um, you need to stop seeing yourself as self-employed. And you go, well, I am self-employed. I don't work for... No, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay, Stick with me here. What I'm saying is that we tend to work, look at work as a horizontal event. We don't include the vertical. We don't include God. And what I want you to see is you may work for a company. You may work for a corporation. You may even be self-employed. But in the end, you work for him. You belong to him. You work for him. Now, look at what Isaiah 64, 8 says. It says, yet you, Lord, are our father. We, we are the, the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hand. Well, that's an encouraging passage, Pastor. Thank you for telling me I'm just a lump of clay. That's what it says. That you are nothing of yourself. That you are, an, you are just a lump of clay in God's hands. You see, you don't work for your boss, and you don't work for your company. You're not your own boss. You're not self-employed. We belong to our Father and Creator, and we're merely a lump. So let me ask you a few questions. Let me take you a few, through a few scenarios. When you go to work this week, before you walk into the door, simply acknowledge that the boss isn't who you're working for, the human boss. The company that you're walking in the doors of isn't the company you work for. 
but you're working for someone greater. The employees that you're working with, your colleagues, are your co-workers, but ultimately you are working for him. Acknowledge that the boss is watching you. So you should be honest. You should be hardworking, on time, a model employee. You should be such a good employee that your boss pulls you in and says, where can I find 10 more people just like you? Because you're honest, you're on time, you're, you work hard, you give everything you can, you're, you're reasonable, you work well with others. I need 10 more of you. Where can I find you? But understand this, you've been subcontracted by your Father in heaven to whatever company you work for, whatever place you work. You've been subcontracted by your Father in heaven. You work for Him. That will change a lot, no matter where you work and what you do. And secondly, your job isn't just to make money, pay the bills, or find fulfillment. You're called to something higher, something greater, something bigger. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6.19. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? By the way, there's no church that is a temple. You are the temple. We are the temple. The Spirit of God dwells within us, not within a building, not within a structure. I know that we have this idea, and it's, it's very common in America, that we have sacred spaces and we have secular spaces. But what I want you to see is wherever you are is a sacred space because God, the Spirit of God, dwells within you. Where you go, God goes. Where you are, God is. And so this space is a sacred space right now because you are here. And he says this, he says, you are not your own You were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. We just talked about communion. What does communion talk about? How the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, came and gave his life. You were bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You are not your own, it says. You are not your own. You have been created for a purpose. Paul says this in Ephesians 2.10. He says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you see the vertical dimension coming into your work? He says, before you were you, God had a plan for you. God has a, 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 a design for you. He has, he has made you. You know, you can use a lot of tools the wrong way. Have you ever tried to use a crescent wrench as a hammer? Somebody going, I don't know what a crescent wrench is. Okay, just look it up later. <laughs> but we do that, right? We use the, and, and what God is basically saying is, I created you to be a specific tool for a specific pur- purpose before you were you. And when you find that purpose, when you find that meaning, you will say, this is amazing. You will find that fulfillment that your Savior created you to be. God says, I'm working on you to become my masterpiece. And I had a plan before you were you. God designed every one of us uniquely to do good works for him. All I'm doing is I'm saying, let's just stop with this secular versus sacred. Let's just stop with viewing work on a horizontal level. Let's stop looking at work as providing what only God can ultimately provide. And let's allow God to be part of our lives 24-7. 
That's essentially what we're talking about. Here's the third point. Start acting like his ambassadors. Start acting like your, his, his ambassadors. He says this, and Paul is writing, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. And this is from God, who reconciled us to himself uh, through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Now, what is he saying here? It's very important what he's saying here. He's saying that whether you know it or not, you are a minister of Jesus Christ. You are a servant. You are a minister of Jesus Christ. I am a minister. You are a minister. I'm a full-time one. You may be a part-time one. But you are not just a minister. You're an ambassador. And your job is to help people become reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Through the gospel to know who Jesus is and how they can have their sins forgiven. How they can have peace for God. How they can live forever. God puts you wherever he puts you. In your family, in your school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. So that you could help people be reconciled to God. We're bridge builders to God. We help people see Jesus is the way. And we say, this is where I found bread. If you give your heart and life to Jesus, you will find life, you will find purpose, and you will find the meaning that you've been searching for. That's what we're called to do. Now, I'm not telling you to go into your workplace, take a Bible, and start preaching the gospel. Your job is to go in and do work, hard work. Be on time, be honest. Be a great employee. Be the best employee that you can be. Do your job well, work hard. Be honest. And then he says this in verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In other words, what Paul is saying is that everyone in this room, everyone online who's listening or watching, if you know Jesus Christ, he says, if you, if you are if you know Jesus, you are a new creature. What is, what, the way you used to be is the old way. That's the old person. But you are living the new way. You're the new person. You're a new creation. And your job, your primary job, what you should be thinking about every day is how can I help a person take one step closer to Jesus? You should work in your job and have an attitude in your job that people say, What's going on with you? Why are you different? Why don't you steal? Why don't you gossip? Why don't you do that? You're a minister. You represent him everywhere you go in all that you do. There is no area of your life out of his jurisdiction. You belong to him. You are paid. He paid a great price for you and he loves you. He has a great plan for you and he wants you to live it. So the question is, are you representing? On Monday, are you representing him? Too often Christians have figured that being a Christian is going to church on the weekend and living like whatever during the rest of the week. Last point. Make your work your prayer. Make your work your prayer. Prayer is one of the most sacred things we do, isn't it? We get quiet before God. We, we offer up our heart to God. 
And really, essentially, what it comes down to is we allow our work to be our prayer, our offer of worship to God. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy to God, acceptable to him. That's Romans 12.1. And essentially what Paul's saying is the same thing that we're, we're talking about now. He said, everything you do and everywhere you are, you are a representation and a worship opportunity to God. Paul writes this to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. He says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if you have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the roots, root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Now, I don't have time to go into it. But this last week, I do a Facebook thing called Chat with Matt, and I talked about that because one of the most misunderstood, misinterpreted scriptures in all the Bible is people who don't know the Bible, who have probably not read it or studied it, say, the Bible teaches that money is the root of all evil. No, it doesn't. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. That you, and you don't have to be rich or poor to love money. But what money will do is it will take you away from, the pursuit of money will take you away from being content. I don't have time to go into that, but if you look at that, you could find that and you can hear my thoughts on that. We often think of prayer as a very sacred thing, and it is. But the essence of this message is this. Your work is sacred. Your work is your prayer and praise to God. When you walk into work, when you sit down, whether you're working at home or you're going somewhere, the moment that you begin to engage in what, you, what your job is, what your role is, the first thing you say, God, I'm checking in, God. I'm working here for you today. And the people that I come in contact with and the way that I respond to them and the way that I carry myself is an act of worship to you. It's my prayer to you. Father, help my work to be my worship of you today. Jesus said this. He said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds work. And what's the result of that? And glorify your Father in heaven. Your work matters to God. You've got to stop following the, the ways of the world. You are, that's who you used to be. That's not who you are now. That's the old self. It's not the new self. You need to renew your mind in this area of work. It's a different thing than you thought it was. You're an ambassador. You're a minister. Your work matters. Your work is your prayer. 
There is no secular and sacred. It all matters to God. Tomorrow, when you go to work on Monday, will your work bring glory to God? The lecture's over. Lab starts tomorrow. Maybe later today if you have to go into work. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us together, whether it's in-house or online. Thank you for the message through your word, how every part of our lives is sacred to you, how our work can be our prayer. Help us not to separate our lives and to compartmentalize our behavior. Help us to understand that we are all ambassadors and ministers if we know you, that we are new creations. The old has gone away. The new has is arrived. Help us to look to you each day. Father, some of us have jobs that we just absolutely hate and struggle with. But maybe that could change a lot if we were to understand that we are working for you, that we are worshiping you in whatever we do. Whether it's a menial task or something other than that. We know it all matters to you. And we know you're watching. And we know others are watching. So may we be good employees, not just where we're employed, but may we be good citizens of heaven and employees of you. May our work be our prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.